begin. The internet, a doorway to the world's most fascinating and terrifying communities. To explore it is to interrogate that which makes us human. Only some are brave enough to venture into these other worlds. Only some are brave enough to be called. The Internet Explorers. And we're back. Welcome everybody to Anderson Brothers, The Internet Explorers. I'm your host, David Ryan Anderson. And I am your other host, Evan Axel Anderson. Evan, it feels like it's been a year since our last episode. I don't know about you. Yeah, and that's funny because this time it actually hasn't been a year. No, this time it's, it's only been a month. This is like the normal time between episodes. <laughs> Everybody, we have a very special episode for you today because today's episode is about the 2020 presidential election. And they went, in some ways, I think better than I expected. In some ways, kind of completely uh, kind of bonkers bananas is how I'd describe it. No, yeah, I think the election itself went about as good, I think, as anybody, well, anybody with our particular political uh, alignment could have expected. But I think it's the fallout that has been maybe upsetting and has been uh, confusing and tumultuous. Yeah, and well, fallout from the election is really what I mean. I, I think that's been very, I'm not going to say it's been good, but it's better than I expected, in part because Everybody who has been paying attention to how the Trump administration, the Trump campaign, sort of the, what we call Trump world, the kind of ecosystem around uh, Donald Trump, the politician, I think everybody who's been paying attention to that, nothing that happened during this election has really been a surprise. Yeah. The fact that a lot of conspiracy theory crafting was going to be integral to that and trying to basically just sow enough doubt about the election process and the veracity of it and maybe kick it to the Supreme Court, who knows. That all was kind of a given, but exactly how it would play out was unknown. And I think that if you're really paying attention to the sort of circus around the election and particularly Trump world's attempts to say that Trump actually won when he didn't, it's just, it's been like an Alex Jones level of just conspiracy theories and really just a, a lot of, of beliefs and, and claims that have, they're completely detached with any kind of evidence or reality. And this heightening, I think, is a direct outflow from the fact that I don't think that the Trump campaign really had any like game plan for, uh, or rather the game plan they did have for if we lose and how do we perhaps like in court, maybe win this. Uh, they just had no game plan. Like the, the people who were supposed to direct those efforts, you know, everybody sort of assumed that Jared Kushner was going to be directing this, at, you know, legal campaign to, you know, get the president to win in court. Uh, and ba apparently like Jared Kush uh, Kushner did not know this. So they had no yeah. like leadership for the team. The lawyers basically went in, you know, assuming that like, if we just say, hey, there is fraud, let's bring this to trial that they could do that. Unfortunately for them, most of the time when you come into court with that kind of claim, you need to offer some kind of evidence. And this had none. So basically that's why for like weeks after the election, you're just seeing case after case being thrown out entirely of these courts, laughed out essentially, because they'd say it's fraud and they'd say, what is the evidence for it? And they'd have no answer. Yeah, I think a big fear from those of us who do not support Trump is that Trump kind of viewed the courts 
the way a you know an authoritarian would, which is that you know if you can get cases in front of you know courts where you have people appointed who support you, the they'll kind of grease the gears and they'll make sure everything just kind of goes your way. And part of the reason why I say I think things have gone kind of as well as they can is that the system has worked in this case. You know, it's worked as well as really, I mean, you know, as well as we want it to, which is that Donald Trump can't just have votes declared to be illegal just because they're not uh, for him. Yeah, uh, I feel like it's kind of been a shotgun effect, like you said, Evan, where it's like, there was really no plan. It's just a lot of lawyers and people who aren't even lawyers basically being sent out to courts in all these swing states with random like hearsay and anonymous claims and things like that, trying to use that as evidence. And the problem is that like, while it's not working legally, you know, it doesn't matter for a conspiracy theory. And now it seems that anybody who is still really supporting Trump at this point is kind of doomed to fall into the category of just conspiracy theory in order to do it. Yeah. So Evan and I were thinking about how we want to tackle this because we want to talk about all the conspiracy theories that are kind of being left behind. This is sort of the the collateral damage of a lot of this election fraud talk that the Trump campaign has been doing is that even if he loses, we're going to be left with the cleanup on a lot of the muddling of the truth that is being done. So Evan and I were kind of going through a lot of different conspiracy theories about the election that have been floating around the last month. And then, uh, I believe a week ago, Donald Trump kind of did us a favor where he released a, <laughs> I just look at a 46-minute long speech to all of his social media titled, This May Be the Most Important Speech I've Ever Made, dot, 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 where he and his team basically did the exact same thing that Evan and I were doing, which was going around collecting every conspiracy theory and bit of shaky evidence, but with the effort of trying to unify them all and say, yes, they are all right. It's basically crowdsourcing for his legal defense and saying like every crazy thing that you heard about online, I'm endorsing all of them. So that actually makes our job really easy because now Evan and I can just kind of bounce around through this video a bit and just kind of respond to Donald Trump directly. Thank you. This may be the most important speech I've ever made. I want to provide an update on our ongoing efforts to expose the tremendous voter fraud and irregularities which took place during the ridiculously long November 3rd elections. We used to have what was called Election Day. Now we have election days, weeks and months, and lots of bad things happened during this ridiculous period of time. <laughs> it's always taken weeks to count up votes and, and get full tallies. Usually we have declared winners on election day because the numbers are just such that no matter what the rest of the votes say, it can't be overturned. Like the numbers just aren't going to be there. I mean, Trump was alive for 2000. So like he knew, he knows like how that went. Yeah, the 2000 election, I mean, that wasn't declared until December. It was over a month before a, a winner was declared there. Yeah. But even historically, like through American history. Like, yeah, it, like, I mean, I think as sort of communication and tallying, like technologies that allow us to do these processes faster, 
it's gotten like to be a shorter period of time. But like, I don't know, in like the 18th century, 19th century, it still took basically that entire time to do the mathematics, to count everything, and then to send it to DC. So that way you could like actually have this process go on. As president, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system, which is now under coordinated assault and siege. For months leading up to the presidential election, we were warned that we should not declare a premature victory. We were told repeatedly that it would take weeks, if not months, to determine the winner, to count the absentee ballots, and to verify the results. My opponent was told to stay away from the election. Don't campaign. We don't need you. We've got it. This election is done. In fact, they were acting like they already knew what the outcome was going to be. They had it covered. And perhaps they did, very sadly for our country. So sad. I know for many people, you're already aware of this, but this is important to say because this right here makes up the central spine of the election fraud conspiracy theory. Everything comes back to these absentee ballots, the mail-in ballots, because in 2020, the trend was that people who voted in person voted for Trump, and the people who mailed their ballots in tended to vote for Biden. So of course, the crux of all this is attacking those votes. The mail-in ballots must be fraudulent one way or another. They have to be. Otherwise, Trump would have lost, and that is not acceptable. So that becomes the central question in the narrative that the Trump campaign has to build. Why is there such a disparity between the two sets of ballots? For obvious reasons, right? You know, we have coronavirus, so people are wary of going to the polls in person. So there was this effort to get people to mail in their ballots because it's a safer process. There was all this hubbub around the USPS because USPS had to process a larger batch of these sorts of ballots than they ever had to before. So Trump builds on that. This is so suspicious. Where did all the mail-in ballots for Trump go? Why are they mostly for Biden? But Trump was a massive part of creating that situation. Like we said before, the Trump campaign strategy, if they lost, was clear, like way in advance. And they have been laying the groundwork to attack mail-in ballots for months. And a big part of that was that Trump specifically told his base to not vote by mail, that it was not trustworthy. Or just sort of this, uh, all the rhetoric around like coronavirus, you know, that's like, you don't need to uh, mail it in, you can be in person, you know, we are, we don't care about the coronavirus, right? These sorts of things. Yeah, there's definitely been a politicizing of the coronavirus response where Democrats tend to take the precautions more seriously than Republicans are. And I mean, in the words of uh, uh, the Republican Secretary of State of Georgia, Brett Raffensperger, He's gone on record saying that Trump ended up actually depressing his own base by doing this, by going on the offensive against the mail-in ballots. It meant that the most convenient way of voting was now kind of uh, uh, off limits for his own his own voters. So this was something everybody knew was coming. This big divide between the, the two types of ballots, the fact they would be used as ammunition to undermine the election results if Trump lost. And that is going to set the stage for everything else this episode. I want to explain the corrupt mail-in balloting scheme that Democrats systematically put into place that allowed voting to be altered. What changed this year was the Democrat Party's relentless push 
to print and mail out tens of millions of ballots sent to unknown recipients with virtually no safeguards of any kind. This allowed fraud and abuse to occur on a scale never seen before. Using the pandemic as a pretext, Democrat politicians and judges drastically changed election procedures just months and, in some cases, weeks before the election. Many states, such as Nevada and California, sent millions of live ballots to every person on their voter rolls, whether those individuals had requested ballots or not. <laughs> the complaint here is that, yes, because of the pandemic, it was unsafe to come vote in person. So we decided we were going to make it easier to vote by mail. And these mail-in ballots were sent to God knows who. Well, to people on the voter rolls, literally the list of eligible voters. Now, Trump will go on to specify that he thinks many of these voters were not citizens or their illegal votes, which is just the exact same conspiracy theory he used back in 2016 to explain why he lost the popular vote back then. He said that uh, 800,000 people voted for Clinton who were not actually citizens, which, to clarify, there was no evidence for back then and there still isn't today. So he's just recycling the exact same conspiracy theory from back then, which, you know, as you can see, these things can compound on one another and, and build very, you know, really long-lasting narratives that can be used for, you know, all kind of purposes in the future. It's just one more thing in the, the conspiracy theorist utility belt. You know, let's reach, reach back and grab... The 800,000 illegal votes, you know, there that's probably still going on, right? No, it, yeah, I, I mean, like, I think it gets to, maybe this is a little too spicy for this this show, but like, it gets at like a, a major issue of Republican politics, which is that voting, people voting is bad, basically. Yeah, I I would say it's that if we only counted the popular vote, there would probably never be another Republican president again. And I think that reality is very tightly related to how the left and the right view voting and talk about voting. On the left, there's a lot more discussion of, you know, like making voting easier, more accessible, uh, 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 where, whereas on the right, there's more emphasis on making voting more secure or uh, 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 implementing voter ID laws, putting more like restrictions on who's eligible. A recognition that their strategy requires people not being enfranchised to vote nearly as much or people not coming out to vote. Yeah, and sometimes Republican rhetoric is in a position of claiming that just because uh, many people want something doesn't mean that the government should actually do it, which is, uh, I think Republicans will admit, an inherently sort of anti-democratic mindset. Um, it, it's a mindset that I understand, though, and I, I think that... I think most people do because it's entirely possible and I think it's historically very common for political movements to be both popular or the majority but still be morally wrong and not wanting them to be reflected in your government. Like slavery is a great example. Like I, I would not want to implement slavery even if many people voted for it. And I think that many people on the left will actually agree with that. But you've got to be vigilant with that, that way of thinking, because it can be an intoxicating fantasy. You know, this it's a noble underdog position. 
or uh, it can become a kind of fetishizing the role of being oppressed or being a victim. I think that's something that Trump in particular does a lot. Uh, and in a lot of cases, that fantasy is the sole thing propping up a lot of conspiracy theory worldviews. Right. So, um, you know, maybe in a way it's inevitable that this stuff would invade the Republican Party the way we're seeing, where the president is now basically totally reliant on conspiracy theories to, you know, uh, uh, prop himself up and give himself any kind of legitimacy. Many states such as Nevada and California sent millions of live ballots to every person on their voter rolls, whether those individuals had requested ballots or not, whether they were dead or alive, they got ballots. Other states such as Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin instituted universal absentee balloting right in the middle of an election year, sending absentee ballot request forms to all voters on all rolls. <laughs> they sent they sent absentee ballots to all voters, the audacity of it. And well, David, the issue is that there are conceivably billions of dead American voters that could have voted for Biden, I guess, is the issue. Uh, this is something I feel like like I've heard my whole life. You know, people, they they use fake names, they use dead people's names, whatever, to drum up vote, like fake votes. It turns out this is actually a very rare thing that ever happens. So there's an organization called the Heritage Foundation who, among other things, watch elections very carefully for fraud because they are a deeply conservative organization who is very distrustful of government overreach, which I think is great. They've found that since 2004, there have been, guess guess how many instances, Evan, there have been where a dead person's identity was used to commit election fraud in the United States as a whole. I'm, I'm going to be generous. I think maybe like 100. You are so... Wrong. You're gonna feel so stupid, Evan. No, uh, it's more. It's more than that. It's lower than that. <laughs> okay, what is it? It is six. There have been six instances, and I'm not saying necessarily that there's six instances where anybody attempted it, but six instances where it was not immediately recognized. Since 2004, and- not this cycle. Since all cycles since 2004, a presidential cycle since 2004. Yeah, since Bush ran for re-election. A lot of these instances that people find for fake votes or dead people voting, they're usually found by, you know, I want to say people who don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Or get got by some sort of thing on social media, you know, some viral like evidence that this is happening. Uh, great example was seeing somebody stuffing ballots and it was like, this is, this happened in Michigan. And you could very clearly see like a Russian Federation eagle on like everything in the room. Right. And it was sort of like, this is this is filmed from like, I guess like the 2018 elections in Russia or something like that. And it was like, this is nothing. Yeah, and that, this, that happens a ton. Yeah, for sure. Like videos from either years ago or from different countries or whatever being, you know, as long as you put the right caption under it, like nobody cares. But there's a really popular um, example uh, from YouTuber Austin Fletcher, who on Twitter, he made a really viral tweet that showed a man named William Bradley in Michigan voted by absentee ballot, but William Bradley died in the 1980s. So this made the rounds, it generated a ton of outrage until it was verified that the William Bradley who voted in 2020 was the son with the same name. It wasn't, it wasn't his father. And there are a ton of instances of that, especially in the last month. Some very distressed Trump supporter will post that they found some kind of smoking gun evidence of fraud. 
And then it turns out to be a relative or a stranger with the same name. Or in some cases, people will appear that they're dead because um, actual information of theirs is not available to, uh, to public records. It's confidential, like if they're um, a victim of domestic abuse or something. So systems will automatically use birth dates from like the 1800s or something like that. Like there's all these instances where, you know, you get these kind of like watchdogs or, or self-appointed watchdogs going out trying to find examples of voter fraud where often like actual organizations who, who do this aren't finding it. And this has been super rampant this past month. Oh, or I don't know if you've heard about this. So the hey, people in the, the Trump campaign and the, and the legal team, they love they love their giant stacks of papers. You know, yeah. they're always going on TV, waving these like huge stacks of paperwork. They're like, look at all the evidence we've got here. Turns out one of those massive stacks was compiled in Nevada. It was a huge tome of ballots that they were going to challenge because they were they were living out of state or whatever. They weren't actual Nevada citizens. But it turned out that, you know, if you actually go through these lists and look at them, it was basically just a list of every deployed service member and their families and accusing them of voter fraud because they don't live in Nevada. It's like, well, yeah, because they're they're abroad living on a military base somewhere. So, I mean, it, this this kind of stuff is happening a lot. And it's it's just kind of like embarrassing that we even have to deal with this. Yeah, I mean, it's. Of course, it's all like pageantry, right? This uh, sort of like this uh, monumental visuals of how here's the evidence that we're looking for. Here's the information that we've compiled. Honestly, I think back to when Benjamin Netanyahu was showing off evidence of like Iranian nuclear plants and stuff like that. He had like 20 gigantic like laser discs essentially of the data. I'm like, this is entirely for just show because nobody puts anything on laser discs anymore. So, I mean, that's that's what that is, right? Like, you know, that's, uh, that is entirely a demonstrative. Issue is that even these demonstratives are completely bogus. We have in all swing states major infractions or outright fraud, which is far more in numbers or votes than we need to overturn the results of a state. In other words, in Wisconsin, as an example, where we were way up on election night, they ultimately had us miraculously losing by 20,000 votes. And I can show you right here that Wisconsin, we're leading by a lot. And then at 3.42 in the morning, there was this. It was a massive dump of votes, mostly Biden, almost all Biden. And to this day, everyone's trying to figure out, where did it come from? But I went from leading by a lot to losing by a little. Nobody has any idea. Who could have who could have accounted for such a thing? To this day, nobody knows. Everybody, everybody he means everybody is like basically just him and like I guess like the first person he asked or something. I I'm so honored to tell everybody that we on the Anderson Brothers. Breaking podcast, news. David's the first to break this story. We figured it out. We know uh <laughs> why there was a sudden leap in numbers for Biden. It's because of these absentee and mail-in ballots that were finally done being counted. This was the first batch of ballots that were done being counted. They're not allowed to begin counting these ballots in many states until the election is actually done. Right. So that's why, like we were talking about, the day of votes are going to come in early. Those were always going to be for Trump because 
that was kind of their strategy to undermine the Biden vote always. So late into the night, you're all of a sudden going to start seeing surges of Biden votes coming in. And that's exactly what that was. There is there is no conspiracy or, or anything suspicious about that. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to clarify that my statement was sarcasm that everybody knows this. <laughs> If you're already suspicious, this is something to latch onto to confirm your suspicions. But there is nothing inherently suspicious about this. I mean, the process, the counting process was live streamed on YouTube. And it's taking advantage of people's unfamiliarity, their ignorance of like how these processes work. So if somebody who you trust says this is fishy and you don't know the process well enough to say, oh, I can independently be critical of what you're saying you might just go along with it. You, you know, oh, this is the first election ever that's taken this long to figure out who's won? Like, oh gosh, that must be true. There is something wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong. Voter fraud. Here's an example. This is Michigan. At 6.31 in the morning, a vote dump of 149,772 votes came in unexpectedly. We were winning by a lot. That batch was received in horror. Nobody knows anything about it. In, in this clip, Donald Trump is holding up a chart here, and it, it shows the vote counts as they're coming in. And there is a massive spike for Biden in Michigan. Now, to his credit, this actually is a very suspicious uh, number of votes to suddenly come in. This was not like the beginning of the release of all the absentee ballots they had counted. This is just at a certain point, randomly, 100,000 votes come in all of a sudden for Biden. But the problem with this, and this is actually something that you're going to see repeatedly, is that that is not the vote count that he's holding there. This particular chart, this graph was floating around social media as evidence of the fraud. Again, just kind of something that people were assembling online, these kind of self-appointed watchdogs. But the numbers they're using are not official vote tallies. These are numbers from a tracking website, a third-party tracking website that was posting the results for people, typed in the wrong number by accident. They typed in too many digits. It had nothing to do with the official vote tallies at all. It was a typo that only ever existed on one website, but now it is being shown as some kind of evidence of like this attempt. And I think this adds a lot of credence to sort of our analysis of what's going on here, which is that basically this is not coming from Trump's brain. This is the aggregation of a bunch of work that online sort of conspiracy theorists have already been doing. You know, if yeah. this if this was from the administration based on their own analysis, they would not be using an aggregate number from the internet. They would be using the official numbers. And honestly, Donald Trump has always been very susceptible to random conspiracy theories online. Yeah. His Twitter is full of posts by just random people posting things. Sometimes they are white supremacists and Nazis. Sometimes they're QAnon people. Sometimes they're zealots who are trying to establish some kind of like dominionism or something like that. Yeah, I, there, There's no vetting at all. It's just anything that kind of comes across him, he will repost and all of a sudden he's signal boosting some kind of dangerous communities and ideas that are, and I mean dangerous in the sense like literally that Many of them are violent yeah. and, and, you know, connected to domestic terrorist groups. If we are right about the fraud, Joe Biden can't be president. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of votes. We're talking about numbers like nobody has ever seen before. And that includes votes that went through 
when they were not allowed to be seen by Republican poll watchers because the poll watchers were locked out of the building. Again, this is straight up not true. They've been trying to hit this really hard, this idea that Republican poll watchers and and challengers were not allowed to watch the votes being counted, which, you know, that would be suspicious, right? If you just throw out all the members of of an entire political party, that's, you know, that they're, they're not allowed to see how the election, the election results are tallied. And because of that, you had these stop the steal protests and stop the count protests popping up at vote counting centers across the country where Republicans were trying to I mean, literally force their way inside to see the fraud that they thought was was rampant in there. And the point of origin for this particular theory is that, yes, some Republican challengers were turned away. Some Democrat challengers were also turned away. They're at capacity for the rooms because of coronavirus. Yeah, there were so many poll watchers and challengers that these places were actually over their legal capacity. One of the most infamous examples was at the TCF Center in Detroit, where angry crowds were trying to break in to catch the fraud. But there were over 100 Republican poll monitors. They were already inside overseeing the count. We have live stream video from inside these places. We have photos. And and even Trump's own lawyers have to admit this in court. In some instances, they'll be on Zoom, literally in the vote counting centers, admitting they are surrounded by Republican poll monitors. And... All all they can do is say, you know, yes, this is true. Technically, we are able to to oversee the the vote counting. But shouldn't it be suspicious that we don't have more people? Which it's, I mean. I was going to say, even in like PA, where there was like probably some of the most intense uh, of these court cases, one of the lawyers on Trump's team, a guy named Goldstein, when he was asked, are you claiming that there is any fraud in connection with a certain number of votes, 592 that they were challenging, that there was any fraud in connection to these disrupted ballots? He said, to my knowledge at present, no. And in Bucks County, where Trump campaign agreed that they do not allege and that there is no evidence of any impropriety in connection to the challenge ballots. And their entire legal position was basically that, hey, we're just making sure we're allowed to ask questions about this kind of thing. That we're allowed to ask questions, you know, which this is just conspiracy theory crafting 101, right? The idea that like, hey, I'm just asking questions, man. Yeah, yeah, no, this is how conspiracy theories are built. They're they're built on a foundation of these kind of like leading questions because leading questions, they require no evidence to ask a question, those are more powerful than the inconvenient facts that would challenge them. And we saw this when we were talking with Travis with QAnon, right? This idea of like, Q will just go out and say, why did AG Barr go to the White House? Why did he have to wait five minutes? You know, these kinds of questions that they don't mean anything. They don't establish any kind of fact pattern whatsoever, but rather is there to simply lead people into a specific way of thinking about things. Yeah, that's a good point. In our QAnon episode, which is our previous episode, we talk about this a lot. You can build an entire worldview and move people by asking questions that you really have no intention of actually answering because the answers are actually damaging for you. But the questions, the re- like as a rhetorical device, that is powerful. And it's actually fitting that you bring up QAnon, Evan, because they're about to become extremely relevant. Oh, awful. <laughs> And on top of everything else, we have a company that's very suspect. Its name is Dominion. With the turn of a dial or the change of a chip, you can press a button for Trump and the vote goes to Biden. What kind of a system is this? We have to go to paper. Maybe it takes longer, but the only secure system is paper. 
not these systems that nobody understands, including, in many cases, the people that run them. Although, unfortunately, I think they understand them far too well. I will agree that, yes, it's increasingly common that we have systems running the tasks that are essential for our society to function. Uh, uh, financial markets, policing, uh, uh, sentencing, supply chains, uh, and, and voting. And many of those systems have evolved to the point where even the people who run them aren't actually fully aware of how they're operating. And that is definitely a dangerously precarious situation for a society to find itself in. I was going to say, that's actually very hyper-normalization <laughs> of Trump. Uh, we've covered this a bit in our episode on artificial intelligence, and we are planning on discussing it more in the future. This is something that actually Evan and I both uh, think is really uh, interesting. But that's unfortunately not very relevant to this conversation, because in this case, Trump world's complaints about the Dominion voting system are just another layer of conspiracy theorizing born from the sticky depths of the internet. Yeah. And understanding them is actually very important to the rest of the episode. Cool, because if that's the case, you got to tell me, what what is Dominion? <laughs> I'll tell you what is Dominion, Evan. We got to take a short detour and break this down. It is unfortunately essential and also very, very dumb. <laughs> the Dominion conspiracy theory, this is... A conspiracy theory that is straight from the world of QAnon, literally. If you haven't listened to our episode about QAnon with Travis View that Evan brought up, I suggest you do listen to it. But self-plug. Yeah, we plug our own episodes constantly. Yeah, so here's a quick primer on exactly what QAnon is. So back in 2017, we had a mysterious figure known as Q show up on one of these forum websites, uh, 4chan. Uh, and started posting about supposed leaks from within the highest levels of government. Q outlined a narrative that placed Donald Trump at the center of a global and uh, historic, uh, if it were true, war between forces of good and literal Satan-worshipping pedophile evil, and <laughs> predicted that the systematic arrests and executions of U.S. politicians would bring to justice people including folks like Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and of course Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there would be executions of these people, and that it would be the basis of a revolution ushering in a new golden age. Uh, <laughs> even though none of Q's predictions have ever come true, ever, Q has steadily grown a devoted following of basically conspiracy theorists. People would be uh, interested in this kind of material anyway. The very bare minimum, they are conspiracy theorists, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this might sound like a tangent, but um, unfortunately, I think this is all essential to understanding the entire election conspiracy. But eventually, Q moved their operation to the website 8chan, which was later shut down and rebranded as 8kun. The website 8kun was run by a father-son team, Jim and Ron Watkins. To give you an idea of who these guys are, Jim Watkins has been caught running several now defunct websites devoted to pedophilia in various forms. He lives in the Philippines now. Why do I mention these guys? Many people believe that Jim and Ron Watkins might secretly be the people who are running Q's account. We don't know that for sure. I'd like to reiterate that. But the site has really been kept alive primarily due to the QAnon community. And uh, the Watkins have become integral figures in that community and kind of use that to leverage their own careers. Ron Watkins, the son, has actually become a very important figure in this whole election conspiracy. 
Ron announced on election day, he was no longer going to be running the eight Kun website. He was choosing to focus on personal issues at like his woodworking. In reality, he was basically just moving on to the next conspiracy theory, which was the election fraud. So in a few weeks, Ron Watkins was appearing in fringe right-wing media as an expert on these Dominion voting machines, despite having no real knowledge or expertise beyond what's in the manual for these things. But he was able to expand on the narrative that the QAnon community was already building and kind of just evolve it to meet the need for this next broader conspiracy theory. And QAnon adherents were frantically trying to make sure that Donald Trump would take note of this because, of course, they're like, this is massive information in their eyes. And finally, Donald Trump did. He saw one of those videos where Ron Watkins was discussing Dominion and election fraud. And then Donald Trump liked the video and shared it on Twitter like he does with a lot of these things as if it was actual news, which energized his most conspiracy theory minded supporters and made one of their own into a legitimate player within Trump world and, you know, and, and it seems the Republican Party at large. Yeah. So what's really interesting here is that we're seeing somebody who's like, we generally would understand to be on the fringes of, uh, you know, society in general, but especially political society, now kind of being slotted into like this very prominent place in at least sort of Trump world, if we're, you know, using that terminology here. Yeah. Essentially the idea of like, you know, whenever Ron Watkins like posts something online, like an election official putting a flash drive into a voting machine, people assume that this is evidence of actual fraud and they're like prepared, you know, foaming at the mouths to murder this guy essentially. And that's something that actually happened, right? I'm not just making this up. This isn't a hypothetical. Yeah. And that happened in Georgia and like officials in Georgia had to come out and there was this like furious press conference basically scolding any Republicans who were kind of uh, uh, tacitly encouraging this kind of stuff because people were making death threats against uh, uh, poll workers and and things. And in this particular case against somebody who Ron Watkins had kind of thrown to the wolves. But this at this point, that kind of the thing I think we're returning to is this idea that the Trump campaign, the Trump administration are floundering. And they need to rely on these kinds of fringe conspiracy theories in order to survive. And to a certain extent, this has always been true of the Trump administration. They've always relied on these conspiracy theories in one way or another. But this is having significant ramifications, which we're going to continue looking at ways that these conspiracy theories have shaped this this past month. And we'll be shaping the political future. 96% of the company's political donations went to Democrats, not surprisingly. And frankly, when you look at who's running the company, who's in charge, who owns it, which we don't know, where are the votes counted, which we think are counted in foreign countries, not in the United States, Dominion is a disaster. First of all, we... The secret... (laughs) The (laughs) secret... The secret supervillain CEO of Dominion, who we don't even know. Yes. First of all, we do know who owns Dominion. His name is John Poulos, and he literally testified in front of Congress about voting security this year. I know it's hard to prove a negative, but there has been no evidence that Dominion is taking votes away to count them in other countries. The National Association of Secretaries of State who typically administer elections, have gone on record saying that taking votes to foreign countries is 
totally unheard of. And for some people, when we say things like, you know, there's no evidence of this or, you know, no evidence of X or no evidence of Y, all they're going to hear is, aha, well, it's your word against the president's word. So why should I trust Evan Axel Anderson over the president? Hey, but that's not how arguments work. Trump is the one making an exceptional claim here. So correct. Exceptional claims need the evidence provided for them. Imagine if you will, you're in a court, right? If you bring a claim against somebody, you, it is the onus, the burden of proof is upon the person bringing the claim. It's upon the prosecutor or upon the plaintiff, not upon the person defending against that. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I think all of this kind of belies really what is the larger point of all of this, and we've talked about it already, which is that this is really all that the Trump administration has left to try and win or something or get some kind of W here. Because at this point, all of this is just so far-fetched that it's honestly just really pathetic. I And I don't know what the ultimate goal here is exactly. Like, is the goal even to win the election or is the goal to set up Trump to run again in four years in the next election? Is the goal to basically maintain momentum on a sort of movement that has coalesced around Trump? Even if Trump doesn't run in four years, maybe somebody else from Trump world will. Yeah. For me, I think that's the most plausible reality is that this is more about keeping his kind of movement on life support. Because, you know, when you have such a powerful movement uh, surrounded around a particular individual, it can be very demoralizing when they lose, you know, I, the whole thing could fall apart. I, I think in a way, I, I think this is just a tactical move as as kind of uh, just childish and yeah, really kind of pathetic as it is. I think there is a larger plan here, even if it is ill-conceived. And really, I think the best way to understand it can be found in, we've mentioned the QAnon community so much. I think they are kind of the platonic ideal for what a Trump supporter should be and like like for what the movement can be, even if they're not identifying that exactly. I think QAnon is basically what they're looking for, even if they don't realize it. And, you know, in identifying this aspect of like how QAnon really, or rather followers of Q are such a like prominent part of the base of Donald Trump and sort of understanding the psychology of what's going on in the past few, uh, oh my gosh, it's been a month. It's only been a month, Evan. It's only been a month. It feels like it's been a year. Um, uh, In trying to understand the psychology of what's happened this past month, we sort of reached out to somebody who has been following QAnon um, in a very measured way um, to kind of get his read on what exactly is going on. And that is a man named Michael Rothschild. Yeah, so we are going to cap it with Donald Trump's most important speech he's ever made. In spite of the fact that this thing's 46 minutes long, and there there's like five, 10 minutes of actual content here. It's it's very difficult to get through. Yeah, it, it's mostly just, I mean, it's mostly the usual things you get when you listen to a Trump speech, which is him kind of just talking about how great he is and how people are unfair to him. And it's a lot of victim talk. So we are going to be right back right after the jump with Michael Rothschild to talk about QAnon and kind of what they represent for, you know, the future of Trump world next. If we don't root out the fraud, the tremendous and horrible fraud that's taken place in our 2020 election, we don't have a country anymore. 
I think that it is a corrupt, stolen election financed by people like George Soros. That Joe Biden is president is the conspiracy theory, not the Dominion voting, not all of the corruption that we're uncovering. If you're one of those that voted for Biden, God is going to judge you. The chances of Biden coming from as far behind as he was are one in a quadrillion to the fourth power. This is all outlined right here in this lawsuit. We don't know how this is going to end, but if they want to fight, they better believe they've got more. I am not a revolutionary thrush, but I will die for my president. So with the resolve and support of the American people. I, I am ready to roll. Like, I'm ready for the revolution. I really am. We will restore honesty and integrity. If this is what these motherfuckers are going to do. Like, I am not going to be your bitch. Thank you. And at any stage. God bless you. Where Donald Trump wins this thing. And God bless America. It's going to be a civil war. 1974. Our next guest is a contributor with Daily Dot and Observer. He's been featured on Bloomberg News and is currently writing a book, The Storm is Upon Us, about his research into the QAnon community. We are so excited and proud to welcome to the podcast Mike Rothschild. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, we're really jazzed about having you here. So, yeah, as you know, we've discussed QAnon before uh, on the podcast, and we are curious. QAnon is tied so, so tightly to the Trump presidency, and it appears to us that he has an almost messianic position. Uh, so for him to lose the election, it seems like it's basically unacceptable. Uh, it seems kind of antithetical to the QAnon worldview. And we might think that this would be a time of, of mourning or disillusion for them. But in reality, it seems that we're seeing the exact opposite. Can you talk about just kind of what is the temperature of QAnon at the moment. Sure. So you are totally correct in that Donald Trump has a kind of messianic position in the Q firmament. He's sort of at the very top of this pyramid. He can do no wrong. Every time he does do something wrong, it's actually on purpose so that he can do something right later. Right. Uh, he, he is the sort of alpha and omega of the QAnon movement. And when somebody like that suffers such a crippling setback as losing the election, you can look at it two ways. The first way is to say, wow, I guess I was wrong about that guy. And the second way is to say, I've been right this whole time. All of this is part of an elaborate plan because he can't lose. And what you're seeing with the Q community is very much the second option. They believe everything that's happening has been scripted, has been foretold, is all unfolding according to a hopelessly complicated plan that Q laid out over years of vague riddles and cryptic questions and proclamations about things that looked like they didn't happen, but actually were just foretellings of the future that hadn't happened yet. So everything that's happening right now with Trump losing, losing these court cases, being sort of humiliated on a daily basis, this is all part of the grand plan to achieve final victory. Yeah, so they, I mean, they seem like they're celebrating actually I, and something i've i've noticed is this kind of refrain that all of the losing that trump is doing is actually revealing kind of the 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 sheep from the goats if you will that it's showing who is truly uh on trump's side and who will abandon him and that's ultimately making it impossible for them to you know that they can blend in with the true believers later which is really fascinating. They really seem to be excited about that in particular. Yeah, they're almost they're almost giddy at the idea that they're going to 
pull this incredible victory out of what looks like a crushing defeat. And it's not just, you know, we'll get a few votes, more votes here in a recount, and then this these votes will be thrown out in a court case. It's like he's going to win 400 electoral votes, and he's and he's won the popular vote by tens of millions. You just don't know it yet. So there, there's a very kind of, not only is there this messianic quality, but there's this secret knowledge component. There's this smugness of, I know what's going to happen, you don't. And when it happens, I will be able to say, I told you so, while you're being carted off to the FEMA camp. So is there any sort of like, because the thing that I've kind of been noticing as I'm sort of thinking about this on Twitter is that there feels like a certain degree of mania around this, like this, it feels like a sort of manic desire to reify this thing. Like, I think it's very obvious that this is a challenging time. Is there like any aspect of like doubt involved in this or like what is kind of the discussion around this? The discussion does not allow for any kind of doubt. Um, okay. If you go to the the Twitter accounts of the big QAnon gurus and, and the big conspiracy gurus in general, not it's not just QAnon, it's another beautiful day where Trump won the election, Trump won yeah. a landslide, you know, everything's happening according to our plan. He won 410 electoral votes, um, you know, just, just waiting for the final pieces. It's going to be great. You know, can't wait for the second inauguration. I mean, it is... It is taken as a fait accompli, not not that this is going to happen, but that it's already happened. And it feels like Trump is kind of playing into this a little bit, right? Like the the unwillingness to concede, the sort of like, no, we've actually we've we've won. In fact, we're still like fighting this out. Feels like it might be feeding this to a certain degree. Oh yeah, he's totally he's totally feeding into it. Um, you know, this is a guy who spent his entire professional career pitching himself as being the ultimate winner. You know, he, he wins at everything he does. He succeeds whenever he does something. And when he fails, he failed on purpose. You know, his, his casinos didn't go bankrupt because of mismanagement. They went bankrupt on purpose because debt is a good thing. You know, it, there's, always, there's always a justification there. There's always a hidden victory that can be pulled out of a loss. So when you have something like this, which is the ultimate loss, not just in an election, but to Joe Biden, a guy that Trump has spent you know, years playing up as this sort of decrepit, half-dead, barely sentient husk of a man who's being, you know, propped up by his handlers and can't get 10 people to one of his rallies. And he doesn't have boat parades. I have boat parades. How could I lose? I have boat parades. So when you have something like that, it's such a disconfirming event. And, And I can't psychoanalyze Trump, but from what I know of him and I've seen of his past behavior, to allow himself to have lost in such a humiliating way is just simply not possible. So you continue going forward as if, as if you won, as if all of this is going to get figured out, all of this is going to be resolved, and it's all going to have a happy ending. You never allow yourself even a moment to doubt the greatness of what you are doing and that all of it will work out in the end. He seems like really kind of the perfect figure for a movement like QAnon. Although as far as I can tell, Trump himself seems mostly ignorant of QAnon outside of the fact that they really like him. Do do you think that if Trump had been the kind of person who conceded the election or or at least, you know, quicker or and not gone into all these really drawn out legal battles, uh, do you think that would have affected how QAnon would have responded, or do you think they might have moved on without him? I guess I'm, I'm curious, how complicit do you think Trump 
is in this these narratives that they're building. Oh, he's totally complicit in all of it. If he had given a speech on election night and said, well, the American people have spoken and I disagree with their decision, but I respect it. I think the entire sort of MAGA community would have gone, huh? What? Is that his clone? Is his clone malfunctioning? That's just not him. He's never going to do that. You know, so the idea of if if he'd conceded, if he'd accepted the loss with grace and humility, that's that's like saying, hey, tomorrow could the sun be an omelet? You know, that's just <laughs> that's just not gonna happen. So so he's complicit in it by doing what he always does and what he's always done. He he contests Every election that he loses, he contests elections, he wins. Yeah. <laughs> he, he called the, the 2016 election fraudulent because there were, you know, quote, millions of illegal votes. He won the election and he, was, he wasn't accepting the, the outcome of it. So, no. you know, the idea that, that he would have sort of taken this gracefully and told his, his supporters to, you know, you, you did your best, but, you know, prepare to support the president-elect. That, that is that is outside the realm of anything that is going to happen in this reality. So, I mean, if we're talking about sort of what is possible within this reality, I mean, QAnon operates, we've been sort of alluding to it as being religious in a certain sense, but also a very specific kind of like apocalyptic religiosity, sort of like a doomsday cult. Um, you know, this idea of like sort of setting dates and things like that, right? This Q clock idea, these different... Uh, prophecies online. Um, I wonder if this is, if the community is kind of forgiving of the failure of these dates and these prophecies to come true in the past, but I feel like this is a very significant sort of deadline coming up if in January, right, when the inauguration happens. What do you think is going to be sort of the reaction to that specific event? Like, because I feel like that's a very uh, that feels like a sort of a nail in the coffin kind of moment. Yeah, it really is. It's it's very hard to pretend that Donald Trump is going to actually secretly win the 2020 election when Joe Biden is sworn in as the next president. So it's it's an event that I'm very much keeping an eye on to see kind of how, you know, do we get more posts from Q? Do we get reactions from the big gurus and promoters that are outside of the norm of what we've already seen with all of this? You know, you, there is a hard deadline with this. You're right. This cannot go on past January 20th, except in this sort of general grousing and bellyaching of, well, you know, he, he stole the election. and You know, the deep state was, was too powerful for us. And Trump let him get away with it for some reason. I mean, there's there's going to be justifications because there have to be, but th this this mania, like like you described it, of of the, you know, he won. It's a landslide. It's all fake. It's all phony. It's all it's all plan. That that is going to stop on January twentieth. Whatever the the whatever the delusion will be after that, it will have to be a different delusion. Um, on our podcast, we like to look at digital phenomenon and communities and try to anticipate how they're going to manifest uh, in reality and in, in meet space. And so far, it seems that QAnon has actually made a really good effort recently of, of breaking into politics, actual politics, uh, the most notable being Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, who uh, was elected to the House uh, uh, in, in Georgia. Right. That's an actual ramification we're going to deal with. I'm kind of curious what do you think will be the effect of that, especially if Trump is not uh, inaugurated again? What kind of becomes of 
those positions. I'm, I'm kind of curious, what does QAnon think is going to happen with them even? Yeah, it's interesting. The election of uh, of Marjorie Taylor Greene and the other one in Colorado, uh, Lauren uh, Bobbert, Q fans are not really as enthusiastic about it as you might think. Hmm. I think they they aim sort of bigger and grander in their conspiracy theories. You know, it's it's not enough to get somebody who believes in their completely crackpot ideas onto a subcommittee or or in a hearing. Now, maybe that'll change depending on kind of what their profiles end up being in the house, you know, they end up being really antagonistic and asking a lot of sort of conspiracy pointed questions in, in committee hearings. They end up on like Fox news or Newsmax or Breitbart or whatever, a lot. I think that will change and they'll become the sort of natural standard bearers for QAnon. But I think right now they're so absorbed in this fantasy of Trump actually won a landslide and it just hasn't come together yet that they, they're not they're sort of not allowing themselves to think about the kind of more pedestrian workaday matters of having a couple of people who subscribe to their ideology in the House of Representatives. That's a big deal. But the, the Trump thing is so is so much bigger that I, I don't think it's quite sunk in 100 percent yet. Yeah. yeah I, one thing I really uh, appreciate, you seem very, very level-headed in your approach towards things. You, you don't seem to be particularly alarmist. Uh, and sometimes I feel like that annoys people online. Yes. But uh, <laughs> I, I've really appreciated that about you. And I'm glad to be talking about this in particular, kind of uh, imagining what the future of QAnon will look like. Um, another question, something I think we kind of just kind of breezed right by is, where has Q been for the past month since the election, it seemed like for a while Q had basically gone AWOL and people were getting very frustrated about that. Um, has Q returned and to what level? There hasn't been a new Q drop since, I want to say the 12th. Uh, there were, there's three drops made in quick succession, which were just useless. I mean, there, was just, there was nothing interesting there. Yeah, I think one was like just an American flag or something like that, if I remember. One was an American yeah. flag. Yes, one was an American flag. So that's the kind of, you know, Hard-hitting content that you uh, that you go to Abe Cohen for yeah. from Q. Um, I think Q is probably doing what they've been doing a lot in the last year and a half or so, which is kind of waiting to see what happens and then reacting to that. You you had you had a lot of that during the pandemic, right when the lockdowns were starting in, in early March. Q was just totally silent. Q didn't say anything. And then Q started making posts, but they weren't really about the pandemic. They were about Biden or they were about like Hunter Biden or Ukraine or, or political corruption, stuff like that. It really took a while for Q to kind of figure out what stance they were taking about all of this. And they, they started to do that once the conspiracy theories really started bubbling up about the pandemic being, you know, a Chinese bioweapon or Bill Gates or whatever. So yeah. I would say that I don't think we're going to hear from Q much or at all until the inauguration, just because there's nothing to say. The, yeah. the, the, uh, the Q adjacent people, people like Ron Watkins, people like Sidney Powell, whether or not they have any involvement in Q or not. And, and I want to make it clear that I, I am not saying who I think posts as Q because I don't think it matters. Sure. But I think those people are having their their right-wing infotainment moment right now, and they're carrying the ball forward for Q. Q doesn't have to do anything. Um, and, if you, and if you do subscribe to the idea that Ron Watkins is linked to the posts, 
well, you know, Ron Watkins, quote, quit it couldn't to work to uh, study woodworking. Um, right. And just accidentally became, you know, the world's leading expert on um, Dominion voting machines. So I, I just don't think there's anything helpful or necessary that Q can add to what's going on. I think after the election and you have all of these disappointed and, and sort of crestfallen and bewildered Q believers who thought this whole time it was going to be, you know, t- Trump actually wins. Ha ha ha. And when that doesn't happen, then I think there's a real opportunity for Q or somebody else to step in there and sort of provide the direction that the movement will take. But that that won't happen for a couple months. So I think what we're kind of zeroing in on here is the importance of the inauguration as being this sort of watershed moment, right, for basically everybody involved in the entirety of this conspiracy, uh, conspiracy theory. And sort of the idea that, like, I feel like from a sociological standpoint, this is what QAnon is, I think, will become a lot more apparent afterwards. Once this very sort of immediate apocalypticism kind of passes mm-hmm. and this incredibly large prophecy doesn't come about, I wonder if QAnon won't become some more sort of pedestrian, Alex Jonesy kind of like everyday new kind of conspiracy theory thing. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of getting there already. You know, this this frenzy of of conspiracy theories and allegations that have gone on in the last few weeks about, you know, the voting machines and the, the hammer and the scorecard and Dominion and, you know, then, you know, Joe Biden breaks his foot and, oh, he's wearing a secret ankle bracelet because he got arrested. And there was this shootout in Frankfurt and all this this <laughs> stuff. I mean, this is all like if you've been following QAnon for a long time and you and you know something about the pre- precursor conspiracy theories and frauds that sort of fed into QAnon, this all kind of makes sense. Um, th- this kind of like ratcheting up of the weirdness is what you get when you've had a conspiracy theory or a fraud or a scam or something that's been around for a while. It's getting a little stale. People still believe in it, but it kind of needs to be like bigger and bolder to keep them hooked. So I'm I'm really not surprised that you're getting all of this stuff. And I think this stuff is going to continue once Biden's the president, because you have, you know, conspiracy theorists are very much used to being on the back foot. They're used to being out of power. They're used to being the people to whom bad things are done. With Trump in power, you've kind of always had this unspoken question of, well, all of these mass arrests are going to happen. When are they going to happen? Why aren't they, why aren't they happening? What's going on? So with Biden in power, what you'll get now is, well, there no one's nothing's going to happen with the storm because Biden won't let it happen. So there, there, the you know the particulars of the mythology will change, but this belief that there are bad people, they are doing bad things. People like Q are bringing them to light. That's never going to change. That's always going to be with us in some form or another. One thing that has been really interesting that we haven't really discussed on on our podcast is the international movement of QAnon. It seems yep. that there's there's been a lot of interest abroad. Oh sure, this is so it's so entrenched in in U.S. politics and figures. What is the appeal outside of America for for people to to ascribe to this? Yeah, it's interesting. The The international growth of Q, um, as I think in large part been driven by the pandemic. And I and what I've kind of figured out with this is that 
individual cue movements in different countries will kind of pick and choose the parts of it that they like and discard the rest of it. Um, but there's always a kind of underlying distrust of authority, distrust of expertise, distrust of big business and, and financiers and, and sort of creeping progressivism. But that takes different forms depending on what country you're in. So if you're in England, for example, you have these huge marches going on uh, based around the lockdowns, based around, you know, they're, they're taking our freedom away and, and the science is bad and they're forcing us to wear masks and 5G and Bill Gates. And then in Germany, it's much more linked with the far right. Whereas I think we're in somewhere like England or maybe France, it's not quite so far right. It's actually much, I think, much more liberal in its sort of traditionally liberal in its, in its kind of distrust of um, establishment science. So you, you have a, you know, each country sort of picks the parts of it that dovetails best with the particulars of politics and media in that country. And the rest of it just kind of gets pushed aside. Like you don't, you don't get a lot of talk in England about uh, mass arrests, whereas sometimes in Germany you'll get that or, or in other countries. So it very much turns into sort of a conspiracy theory of everything. And you just pick the parts of it that you like best. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. It feels like, you know, QAnon seems like a great lightning rod for, in, in many instances, ideas that I, I think would be great. I mean, I, I think that ha you know, having a healthy distrust of the elites or, or anybody in power or these, these kind of like a corporate interests, I personally feel like those are good things to have in a society. And it's a shame that a conspiracy theory like this seems to be kind of redirecting a lot of those those ideals and impulses it's just the worst things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and glomming on so many damaging uh, ideals along with them. Maybe maybe there's something to learn from that. You know, I mean, I think QAnon seems like it's been remarkably successful in how it's been able to get its message out. Yeah. Maybe that's because, like, like you were saying, it needs to be thrilling and, and exciting to kind of build momentum. Yeah, yeah. Q fills a, a real need for a lot of people. It really, it, it people gravitate toward it because it, answers questions for them and it solves problems for them and it explains why things are the way they are and that's the way most conspiracy theories are you know the, people people don't get talked into believing this stuff by bots or trolls they they believe it because there's a there's a hole in their life and they're looking for something to fill that hole and to make them feel special and important and powerful and, and q is q is really good at that Mike, thank you so much for coming with us and talking to us. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Could you just mention where, where can people find you? Sure. Uh, people can find pretty much everything I do on Twitter. I'm at RothschildMD. So that's uh, R-O-T-H-S-C-H-I-L-D-M-D. I'm not a doctor. Those are just my initials. I get it. I'm D.R. Anderson, so I totally get <laughs> so, it. So same thing, same thing. All right, and we are back. I really enjoyed talking to Mike about all of this. He is so much more articulate than we are. <laughs> it's so nice to have such a, a clean, smooth... We literally aren't very articulate, actually. That was a joke. We Oh, man. It, the editing saves us all the time. You guys have no idea. You have no idea. We're actually not very... <laughs> we're not no, articulate. we're a mess. Yeah, but Mike Rothschild was not. <laughs> he actually had a lot... <laughs> getting us back on track. Great segue. So this is not the end of this episode. We are 
making this a two-part episode. This first part, we really wanted to talk about the conspiracy theories around the election fraud, how the conspiracy theory community has kind of um, responded to them. I think that we will need to do a second episode where I would love to talk about kind of the right at large, because we've really been focusing on Trump world. But the truth is that this is really only a fraction of it. I, I think I think a lot of this stuff is going to radiate out beyond this. Like for example, in Georgia, there are a lot of people, you know, a lot of kind of QAnon adjacent people who are just really pissed off at the fact that they have what they believe to be like solid airtight evidence of fraud and that the Republican Party at large is really not backing them, especially not, you know, Republicans in Georgia who have decided to call the race in their state for Biden. And, and you know, this is happening all around. So what you're seeing is there's now um, a movement that has started online, the boycott the Georgia runoff movement, because the race was really close for the Senate in Georgia. And it's going to be a runoff vote. The two runoffs, really. It's both the Senate seats. Yeah, no, right. And it is so imperative that Republicans keep those seats in order to retain their majority of the Senate. Otherwise, Democrats will sweep all of Congress and the presidency. So to suddenly have your most conspiracy theory-minded people who have supported Trump so desperately now start coming out saying, Actually, we'd like to punish the Republican Party for not backing Trump enough, assuming that this boycott movement actually has legs. That would cost the Republicans like a massive amount of power in the legislature. One of the casualties of really trying to appeal to the conspiracy theory world as your base is that they are extremely fickle. They usually want one thing. And what that one thing is, no matter what it is, conspiracy theorists only want one thing. And it's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> well, like whatever it is, you know, if your thing is that, you know, Trump can never lose. He is the God emperor then yeah. yeah, like anything less than that is going to appear treasonous to you. So now you've got this, this real problem that kind of a crisis within the right in general, which is that a lot of the base is kind of volatile and toxic. It is sort of trying to take a wild animal essentially and make it part of your strategy. Well, it's like, well, you're still talking about wild animal. You're still talking about conspiracy theories that don't trust sort of government and established forms of power in general. And the idea that like you could control that in a way that doesn't bite you at some point uh, is is profoundly sort of uh, misguided. Yeah, I mean, like at this point, like Tucker Carlson is being accused of being part of the Pizzagate conspiracy theory, which we brought up in our 9-11 Truth Movement episode, right? because he he has proved that he's not supportive of Trump enough. Or even, or just Fox at large, right? Like people are, uh, yeah. people are like yelling profanities about Fox because Fox called Arizona too early. Yeah, which they were right to do. But again, it's like, you know, within that world, this is a seditious, treasonous right. act. In a way, I think this is just the beginning of this. Like one way or another, this is something that's going to have to be dealt with by the right. And um, that's why I love, you know, our next episode, we can really kind of uh, sink our teeth into this. What is what does this really mean? Well, and, and you know, and we sort of recall what we talked about with Mike, which was this idea of the inauguration really being the sort of fulcrum point, right? This this point where you're going to see a lot of reorganization just on the right in general, not only with like a QAnon kinds of folks, but even these like 
you know, we talked about like Nazis and neo-Nazis and these right, white supremacist groups, like we're already seeing some turmoil there where there's soul searching going on there as well. Um, they've decided to be worse versions of themselves because being even slightly palatable uh, has has cost them. I forgot there's one more thing I wanted to mention, Evan. Okay, yeah. He, he's like, according to all the polls, we were up and then we lost. What's up with that? This is a conspiracy. And it's like, I like as if the fact that like polls were wrong, like this is some historic- yeah, I mean, fam Famously, polls have always been right always and have never been wrong, even in the past four years. Right, like, I mean, like Trump's, his victory was such a shock to the polling world to the point where everybody was like, are election polls a scam? <laughs> Throw Nate Silver in the river, you know? Yeah, right, yeah. Like, yeah, all of 538, like never trust a poll again. This entire industry is like a bunch of grifters and stuff. And it's like, no, you should know better than anybody that the polls are, they don't indicate. The other thing too, is that the nothing that they indicated was that Biden was going to win in a landslide. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, anything. the poll he's talking like, about, don't even- There uh, was no poll. That's like, maybe there was like back in like July, but not any polls that came out in like, you know, October or November. His September. odds were like 50 to one or something like that at this point. So it's like, no, my man, like I- My dude, my buddy, my pal. My most honorable dude. I don't- <laughs> Most honorable dude, we bring you evidence today. Hey guys, it's David. The episode is over, but as always, it's time for credits. This episode, we're listening to Thomas Harrowdeck. He's just got like a goofy, chaotic, uh, but also kind of threatening style that I feel captured the vibe for this episode. And as always, I'd like to say thanks to Something Unreal for his Windows XP remix that we hear at the top of every episode. This is our last episode of 2020, and I hope you all find exactly what you need this year. Happy 2021. All my friends get to be in office. How come I don't get to be? That is funny, but I don't think we need to talk about it. Let's skip that. <laughs>